Hello, everyone. A quick announcement before we hop in the show. I had a mic malfunction in that I mistakenly used the wrong microphone for the first you know, a couple minutes, maybe eight, ten minutes of uh, Luke and I discussing the intro of the, the show and the painting itself. So clo- close to the beginning of the painting discussion, you'll notice a switch in the sound. I just want to let you know um, that was just my fault. But I think still this was an amazing episode. Luke and I had a blast with this. And before, you know, I don't want to take up any more of the show time. So let's hop into the show now. Hi, everyone. My name is Luke. And I'm Kirk. And we are here to surprise each other with art. So, Kirk, why don't you tell us a little bit about how this is going to work? And I'll introduce the topic. Okay, so I'll save the surprise for the topic soon. Just so everybody knows, Luke chose a painting and I chose a poem based on a topic that you, the audience, voted on over at Surprised by Art on Facebook. So if you want to become a part of the show and you want to have a discussion about the artwork and the topic and the ideas and the passion and all the cool stuff, go to Surprised by Art on uh, the group on Facebook. Just go type in Surprised by Art and it should pop up. And um, now you guys voted on a topic. So Luke, why don't you tell them what this topic is and what they ended up voting on? All right, I'm going to tell that in one moment, but there's something okay. else that we did this week that I was really excited about, which mm. was we we offered up um, the opportunity for you all, to audience, to suggest topics for us. So in that Facebook group also, if there's a topic mm. that you are interested in and in seeing some art and poetry uh, connected to, then we'd love to hear those and incorporate those into some polls uh, because I think the funnest part for me Kirk is is trying to come up with a painting that matches with a topic. That's why yeah. I kind of like it when you suggest a topic, Kirk, so that I'm excited to see, okay, what does that fit in my mind? All right, so the topic for this time, it's going Come to be please. righteous defiance. Righteous defiance. Yes. Now, this is a topic that, that I suggested to you, Kirk, so I, I had something in mind when I picked this topic, mm-hmm. but I'm going to be very curious to see what it is that you have in mind with the poem when you pick this topic. Yeah. All right, are you ready to this one? Okay, um, good. Last week, last time was man's loss of faith, and this time is righteous defiance. So it'll be oh, a lot of fun to down. explore what we mean and, and what art can provide in kind of exploring this idea of righteous defiance. So thank you, everybody, who voted, by the way. I think that was a, a fun topic and, a, and an interesting and timely one, I think. <laughs> I see a man. Looks like he might be wearing a soldier's uniform. He has a tall hat with a black plume. He has an earring. He's clean-shaven except for a neat little mustache. He's wearing a ruff around his neck, a dashing red uniform with a white sash across his chest, and he's sticking one leg out in front of the other, um, and he's got the posture of maybe a proud rooster, it looks like. He's holding his sword out in front of him, not threateningly, um, just decoratively. The tip of the sword is on the floor. And on the ground by his feet, there is a small yellow flower pot with some dark red flowers sticking out. And if we look at what's going on around him, it looks like he's standing on a dirt road surrounded by patches or squares of flowers. 
And there are some people running towards him. They also look like soldiers or maybe guards. They have a different uniform on than he does, and their uniform is much less fashionable. A young man is standing in a flower field. Um, there are many other men on this field, and two of them are actually running towards the young man. They are wearing pointy helmets, soldier-like helmets, and are also carrying rifles. Um, although the rifles are not being pointed at the young man. Most of them are on foot, trampling the flowers, and there's one guy even on horseback. Unlike these soldiers, uh, our young man is standing on a pathway, uh, a muddy pathway that's, that has been constructed uh, through the field. He's wearing shiny leather shoes, um, a velvety outfit, there's rough on his neck. He's wearing nice gloves, black robe, all the signs of um, nobility. Looking at his feet, um, guarded by the sword from the uh, from the approaching men, is a small flower pot. Um, this flower pot has a single flower in it. There's a field, and I see a crowd of people. Um, running toward, it looks like a barn of some kind. And there's a person in the background with their hands up, like they're about to surrender. And, um, so you kind of looking at the back of the crowd and, um, and then in the front, there are people kind of coming toward the view, um, from the crowd and they're facing, facing the camera or, the view um and they've got guns and they look kind of injured no never mind they're not injured they're just sort of running toward what looks to be a general who's right at the forefront of the painting and the general of the painting he's got a sword that is pointed downward like he's about to like almost like he's just kind of like walking with it like maybe he's like about to like draw it up upwards or something like almost in triumph i'm looking at a soldier or perhaps he's in fact a revolutionary standing on a clear-cut path a single flower at his feet and the flower in a pot he stands defiantly in opposition to soldiers clearly they are uh, uniformed and more standard-issue soldiers who are running across a beautiful field of flowers. Now, the individual who stands defiantly opposed to them is probably, uh, I would call him a musketeer, but given today's zeitgeist, I call him a revolutionary. Behind the soldiers is some kind of peaceful, sleepy village, but behind that, this strange tall, almost magical, medieval-looking tower that's quite ominous in the background. All right, Kirk, are you ready to be surprised by the artwork I've got for you? Yeah, so let's hop into the painting. Again, Luke, now everybody, if you're, if you're listening to this, which you should be listening to this, then I recommend if you have a moment, pause and look after Luke does a description with me. Try to look at the painting itself for yourself. But 
we've designed this to kind of help you in just listening to it. And then you can go and look at it for yourself and investigate. Okay. And it might be even fun to kind of, in, as you're listening in your mind's eye, conjure up what that image looks mm -hmm. like to you yes. and then go to the uh, go to the painting and see what it is. And we'll tell you what it is after I have explored it myself because I've never uh, seen this. Well, and but Kirk, with your poetic way of describing things, oh, I think the audience is quick. <laughs> putting pressure on me. All right, <laughs> Kirk, you're the best with words, so you better have some good words for this. Okay, okay, All right, and yeah. I, I suggest just dive in with your description. Just start describing whatever it is you're seeing. No title. Okay. Oh, if you want to throw in a title right at the beginning, yeah, go okay. ahead. All right. All right. You ready? I'm ready. Right, Here I'm it ready. is. Okay. Uh, oh man, uh, I, I see confidence <laughs> is my first um, right title for it. Cool. Now, is there any way you can zoom in a little bit so I can see something? I will in a moment. But, let me, but what do you see right now? Um, all right, so it is very interesting. This guy is standing by himself, and I'm, I'm interested in this like little pot of there's like a little flower pot right next to his foot. And he's standing in a very foppish way, almost with his sword crossed in front of him. And he's kind of relaxed. And it's on this garden. So there's this, there's like this wonderfully patched garden of flowers. You have red and you have white flowers and yellow flowers. And they're in these like... I like that phrase, wonderfully patched. You are poetic. I try. Um, and um, so you know, there's this patchwork of flowers on a field in the um, in the background behind him and there are men that look like they are charging somewhere they're charging i don't know if they're charging him i don't, I don't think they're charging him but maybe there's one guy the closest guy to him is running um yeah there you go thank you for zooming in a little bit there he's running it looks like he's running forward but not toward the man who's standing there and actually, I didn't pay attention. Can you go back to the man? I want to see if they're wearing similar uniforms at all. Can't tell. I'm really bad at uniforms. Um, so, what are you looking at? The uniforms of all the what apparent soldiers? Yeah, they're, yeah, they're yeah. like in a yellow tunic, brown. Yeah, leggings. they all look alike, right? They're 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 an army of some sort or some kind of musketeer yeah. group or something mm -hmm. like that, right? With swords, and they have like mm -hmm. um, you know tall hats that I don't know what they are. And this this gentleman who's running. In the, they're all trampling these flowers, by the way. So that it's, they're, they're kind of ah, that's an important point, I think. There, yeah, right? They, there, there's a there's a footpath, but they're not on the footpath. Yeah, good point. So he is standing again with his, and I'm really fascinated by this little. There's a little pot by him, a potted plant, <laughs> and it's it's just growing a little bit. It, it, maybe the, oh, I see this one flower, one bud, which I find really interesting. He, I wish I could put my face right up to his face. He looks so relaxed, right? Like he doesn't seem to have a care in the world. And you have these men that are charging something. Some are running away, it looks like, um, or at least their backs are turned. And a few are running um, in the opposite direction. I see a man with a horse who's also going towards some of the men who are um, standing on the field. By the way, in the background, um, from those men who are their backs are away from us is a village and it looks like just a quaint village so that i guess that's how i would summarize what this scene would look like without the men 
It's a very cool well. Let me ask this. Let me ask um, this. Is this garden? Is this um, out in the wilderness, or does this look like a man-made nursery? Definitely a man-made nursery. That's what I meant by the patchwork of flowers. It's not completely wildflowers. It's definitely designed by man. And um, yeah, so I, I, you know, like it's it's again in these little rectangular patches of you know this field that has all the these uh, flowers in them. And I see like a tower in the background. You know, I, I imagine it's some European village of some sort. Uh, so a small village, not a big city. It's not London or. You know, all right. So what you're seeing is that are there are these soldiers who are stomping on the flowers of this nursery, and who does this nursery belong to? Oh, okay. So there you go. That's a good question. So I would say it belongs to this gentleman who's standing there with his sword um, on his, um, you know, his, like his sword is out, but it's not pointed up. It's pointed on the ground, like almost like a cane. Except he's not using it like a cane because you can't walk like that. Because um, it's a now you described him as foppish face. earlier. What what do you see that about him that looks kind of foppish? Just his casual nature is what I meant by foppish. So he's very elegant or aristocratic. I would you know he's he uh, is has a certain like the first word that came to my mind was a confidence and and, and just like a, a strong inner confidence. Like he's very. There's this chaos going on, and it doesn't seem to negatively affect him. At least not from what I can see. So it, by the chaos, you mean like the shouts of the soldiers and the stomping that's going on, yeah, the I mean, movement, all that? Yeah, there's a horse in the background, right? Like, well, you know, it looks like it's also participating in the stomping a little bit. Yeah, and it's it's totally messing up this garden, by the way. And, and I don't know what they're fighting for, or what they're yelling at, or if they're just like proving a point. Like that, we can. So that's interesting. They this this foppish gentleman that you're pointing out, who's looking on this. Does it look like he's going to stop those men? Is there any way you can expand the the picture? Um, yeah, I will. I will in a moment. But I think you could. Fit, there's enough information here. So so by the he, pose, if you were to take this pose, does it look like he's springing for action to move forward to inter interfere? I mean, that's what I was thinking. Like, no, he's not. That's what I'm thinking too. Look at he's on his back heel, and yeah. his 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 left toe is pointed outwards, and he he leans his shoulders back. Oh, I bet you want to see his face, Kirk, right? Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. But I was looking at the stance, and that's yeah. Oh, thank you. That yeah. I mean, it's like he maybe that's a fencing stance, but it, the way he's holding his sword, it's like a defensive posture. But it again, it's it's down. Oh, I like in front that. Yeah. of his yeah. leg. And he's yeah, you're right. He's, he's all his weights on his back foot. Like, there's no weight on his front foot. You know, you described defensive posture because that he's got the blade of the sword pointed down between that flower pot and those soldiers in the distance. It's almost okay. as if he's. That's interesting. So, I, I like what you just said. So that like the thing that um, he can't defend the whole field by himself. You've kind of guided me into this, and, and I think I see it more now. That My eye was drawn immediately to, you know, the painter drew the sword yeah. point toward that potted plant, and I imagine he is the owner of this whole field, and for whatever reason, maybe he, you know, got the king got mad at him, and they're just, like, destroying stuff, you know, because they can, and he can't fight a whole army by himself and get them off this huge field. He's only one man, but he has staked his... His ground, and he's going to defend this pot with his life. And you know, this is his pot, 
and you can't mess with this one, you know, budded flower. He will kill you if you try to mess with this one thing. Everything else he can't do anything about, but this is where he's making his... This is, like, the, the term, this is not the hill he's going to die on. <laughs> right? Like, they say, you know, choose the hill you're going to die on carefully. This mm-hmm. is the hill he's going to die on. Mm-hmm. That's how I see that. It's such, a, it's such a tiny, lonely little pot. But it's with... his. Right? And it's, that's... <laughs> All right. Now, I'm going to show you his face. And I'm, I, because his face is hard to see, I'm going to show you a close-up. I know you want to get right up close to see his face. Well, I'm very curious to hear what kind of expression you're seeing, and then what do you imagine he would be saying? Would he be saying something like, don't tear up my flowers? No, I mean, I think he understands that there's not much that, that not much value in that. Like, I can't describe the look on his face right now. It's especially, would he be saying something like, oh no, why is this happening to me? No, no, he, he's, his chin is up. His eyes are forward. You know, he's, he's glaring. I mean, I think defiant is the word that comes to mind. You know, he's saying like, do your worst, <laughs> right? Like I can see that. Like come try. <laughs> like I dare <laughs> you. And and I can almost get like when I look at the bigger picture. One thing that I just noticed was the I, I can almost imagine the man who's trampling the the man who's closest to him the the soldier who's closest to him was running toward him and then he said nah I'm not gonna mess with them right like he he <laughs> ran, okay if you're to project out what was gonna happen yeah yeah like he said no nah, it's not worth it I'm you know I'm out here by myself my my other guys are like forty feet away. It's just me and this dude, and uh, yeah, he doesn't look like a, a guy to mess with, right? And um, and I could see he's like, he's, it's a, it's I dare you type thing. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Uh, you want to hear the title of the artwork? Please. A little bit of the background. So the title is called The Tulip Folly, and it oh, references, okay. I, I don't know how, how much you know about, um, you know, the tulip market in, the, in Holland in the 18th century, or here the 17th century, um, but... Tulips were prized. Um, I mm. think I just saw a movie a few weeks ago called The Tulip Fever. It's not a great movie, but it's got <laughs> it's beautiful. It's a beautiful movie. Um, mm-hmm. But tulips were prized, and there was so much interest in tulips that uh, there would be the, the market became over flooded with tulips, so that that eventually. Just, um, I guess, supply and demand. It just the, the vast supply of tulips pushed down the prices. And then the, the government at the time period, trying to get a hold of this oversupply, decided that they were going to destroy the, a bunch of the supply to get the price of tulips back up. And so they sent out soldiers to different tulip nurseries, tulip farms, to destroy vast amounts of tulips. Now... Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah, I think I've heard something about tulips like in economics actually and studying it like it was Yeah. It was yeah, almost yeah. used as a bartering like more than gold or something like that at one point, right? Like it was part of the economy, now, a major part of the economy. I'm I'm not a botanist or horticulturalist and I don't know much about tulips, but I knew that the different I know that different tulips had different values and that there were there were some that have had staggering value and one particular flower that had a particularly staggering value which was i i think i think i saw some stats where it was for a no, an average year's earnings you, you needed like 10 years average earnings to purchase one tulip something like that some exorbitant stat wow. like that 
And that flower was called a Semper Augustus, and it was a, a white flower with red streaks, a white tulip with red streaks in it. Okay. And I don't know if you can see the detail of that flower that he's got there. It's a little but, hard, but I could see that it's, you're saying it's like a red, white center, mm-hmm. and there's like a red white. or some color around the yeah. center on the bud. So there's one particular flower that he's protecting, and that's yeah. the Semper Augustus. That one bud is probably worth more than all the others combined. Mm. So in this instance, this is the one that he wants to protect and that he's going to put his sword in front of and stand in that regal, foppish way in his best cape and hat and earrings and pristine <laughs> mustache. Yes. I, I can see where you're getting righteous defiance from it. In terms of like this is this is where I'm gonna make my stand for sure. Because all the other ones, I they're I'm sure they're valuable to him, but he's willing to give them up to defend this one. And whether you know as a viewer that the value of this tulip or not, in terms of the global economy at the time of the painting or whatever, or when the painting is taking place, because of the way the painter, the artist developed this scene where he's in the foreground he's the biggest figure the sword is you know the pointed right down to it he's put his body between him and this whole army it like really emphasizes that there's something really important about this one little teeny pot with a it's a fragile little stem right like it could be easily broken and he's willing to defend it yeah and that that figure if if he weren't there in front of a tulip if he were at the barricades, if he were on the front lines, that person with that that dignity, that courage, that defiance, it's not the content of the ideas that he's espousing that suggests righteousness to me. You 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 may think, okay, what's what's the big noble idea he's fighting for? But the manner in which he's defending this precious possession of his suggests this righteousness. Yeah. I'd follow him into battle. I'd listen to what he has to say by the manner he presents himself and that strength and dignity that he shows. He's not lashing out. He's not displaying anger. There is some thought that he's made and some stand that he's come to and projects. Um, I had a, a fencing friend, as you pointed out, he looks like an fencing pose. I had a fencing friend tell me that the way that he's posed the next motion of his wrist is going to bring that sword up that's to be what ready I was thinking. to fight yeah 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 he's ready to fight and that's you know so he's it's like you know i was the david right where he's he's not flinging his sling and arrow but he's he's poised to do it and mm-hmm. there is something um you know like if you've ever been in a possible fighting situation like and you see that person in that like oh my gosh this guy's ready to fight and if it's your hands and fists, it looks one way with a guy with a sword. This is what it looks like to me. He's, he's like, if you get within a certain, like if you cross a certain line, that sword's up and you're skewered, right? Like he's, it's going to happen instantly because he's a pro. Like you could tell he's a pro with that sword. He's not some guy who like is brandishing it about and trying to go crazy with it. He's ready to skewer you. So I'm curious, um, Kirk. What would be a Semper Augustus for you? What would you defend? 
Yeah, like my pot of land. Well, yeah. um, and, and that's what I like about this is is that he's defending that pot of land. Even though it's small, it's still his, right? Mm-hmm. And it's valuable to him. Even if you don't know the value of the tulip, right? It, it's valuable to him. I mean, you know, again, I, I repeat this for me. It's, it's like, um, <laughs> like my gym. I'd, I'd go out in front of my gym and defi- defend that. Right, like the things that little things that I love, the the coffee shops and the restaurants that I enjoy going to, my house, of course, I would you know defend that that one little piece of land that I got that's mine. So for me, it's it's about defending what's yours at the end of the day. It's like the core of what's yours. So even if all the other things are taken away, like just get your patch of land and just you know put your your foot down and say this is the end of the line for you. Right, like you, enemy, like you out there, whoever it is that's trying to trample this, you know. There's honestly, I would try to defend that whole patch of land, like, but (laughs) but sometimes, you know, like in our current situation, if you can't, you like, if you literally can't, if you if there's like just an army like this one, I think you just step back to the the place that you can put your one body in front of and say, this is my life, and you're not getting past here without taking my life and I'm going to go down as difficultly difficult as possible. Um, So there was some video of um, the protests in the early days that reminded me of this artwork. Um, And it was in Minneapolis, just like the first few days. And um, there were some African-Americans who had, who had guns and were defending the um, defending places of business yeah. from looters. Yep. That image is what struck me as really resonant. It's something that belongs to you that that is precious to you, and you're not intending harm, but you are there as a presence to defy whether it's authorities, whether it's a mob, whatever it is. That this is something that's yours that you're going to hold on to. That's going to be precious, and you are defending it. Yep. Yeah. I, I think a hundred percent, like find what's yours and defend it. And that's what this uh, poem or this painting is about. I think. All right. Great. So I'm interested in seeing your yeah. poem now and seeing how this, uh, this how, how this that connects to this. Yeah. Have you heard of this poem, by the way? I don't think so. Okay. So let me go ahead and read it, and then we will discuss. All right. Everybody uh, settle in for a moment. If you have the poem in front of you, great. Otherwise, just relax and listen. The New Jerusalem by William Blake. And did those feet in ancient time walk upon England's mountains green? And was the holy Lamb of God on England's pleasant pastures seen? And did the countenance divine shine forth upon our clouded hills? And was Jerusalem builded here among these dark satanic mills? Bring me my bow of burning gold. Bring me my arrows of desire. Bring me my spear, O clouds, unfold. Bring me my chariot of fire. I will not cease from mental fight, nor shall my sword sleep in my hand till we have built Jerusalem 
in England's green and pleasant land. Okay. All right. Very cool. So my first impression is um, <laughs> I, I'm going to fight to bring about this, this holy land here in England. Yeah. And let me ask you like some questions that mm-hmm. um, just quick stanza by stanza questions since this is a yeah. short one. Yeah. So whose feet is he talking about? I'm thinking Jesus. Yeah. So, and did those feet in ancient time walk upon England's mountains green? Now, mm-hmm. all you, I think that's all you have to know. That there's a lot of allusions uh, in this poem, a lot of biblical allusions. Yeah. I don't think you need to be an expert in them, but you do need to have a sense of certain things, right? Lamb of God refers to Jesus. Usually you'll hear them as Lamb of God, mm-hmm. that kind of idea. So that's the fa- he's asking these questions. And did those feet, you know, did Jesus come to England in his ancient times, you know, and when he was alive? Now, in the second stanza, um, what do you, what comes to your mind when you hear the words dark satanic mills? Would you read that whole, that those two lines the, there? And did the mm-hmm. countenance, divi- countenance face, by the way, and did the countenance divine shine forth upon our clouded hills? And was Jerusalem builded here? among these dark satanic hill- mills. Do you know what Jerusalem Yeah, I don't know what the satanic mills are. Um, so countenance divine is like, okay, the clouds are parting and here's uh, God looking down upon us with light. Yep. And then... Um, well, and for, do you know Jerusalem? Do you know anything like... The, the, well, it's the holy city. The holy city, so, it means city of peace. It's a literal translation. And this is... Um, you know, the idea of building the city of God right now, of course, today we know it, you know, it, it, there is an actual location in Israel, but there is an idea of the new Jerusalem that I think is helpful to know, which is after the world is destroyed, there's going to be a new city built like the perfect city. And it's going to be the utopia. And I think that's important for like unlocking this. Well, what does that have to do with satanic males? Okay. So, well, and was Jerusalem, that means the, the perfect city built upon these dark satanic mills. Well, what's a, what's a mill for one? Well, it's where you're going to grind your grain. Yeah, it's, gr- it's grinding your grain. But um, so, yes, that's 100%. But I mean, like, does, does the words dark satanic mills bring any emotion to your, your uh, mind? Well, sure. It's ominous. So it's very ominous. And it's. It's where is it located? I don't want to be part of these dark satanic mills. You don't want to be a part of them. And where is it built? It built built. Where are they built? Yeah, where where is this? By like, rivers. Okay, by rivers. But I'm. Uh, I mean, where's the location of this poem? In England. Yeah. Right. So it's it's in England, and we're talking about these mills are are coming, and they're dark satanic mills. No. Okay. What about industrial revolution? No, I didn't. I wasn't making that leap Not at all. That, okay. So I, I feel like that's getting a little bit into the background okay. knowledge about the poem that I I'm have no connection to while I'm reading this. So because the thing that I'm still struck with is dark satanic mills. And I guess I guess now what you're referring to is these are like mills, like factories. And this is something that's very these factories are satanic. This is a industrial revolution. That is not what we want around here. It's antithetical to the meadows of green um well there's a literal and a metaphorical and i was trying to get the literal in order to get you to the metaphorical right that that's the the issue with poetry is you have to kind of take a leap 
And dark satanic mills, I think, has a connotation, a feeling of this, like you said, an ominous presence that's taking over the land. And it's it's an, just think of it as an evil presence. I don't think it has to be the Industrial Revolution. That's probably what he meant, literally what he was looking at in 1804 when this was written. But it's way broader than that, right? That's why it's been taken as the unofficial national anthem of England. It's way broader than just the Industrial Revolution. So for me, the key word is here is mills. Is mills referred to, is that... But a, a mill is something, like you said, it's a general building for machinery and grinding out fl- um, bread and flour or flour and things like that. But it's a grinding machinery. It's a thing that grinds. That's what a mill does. Like a millstone, like grinding, grinding. That's the idea you want to get. And so in the next stanza is, okay, he's, he's ready to, to fight all this uh, satanic mill stuff. Bring me my bow of burning gold. Bring me my arrows of desire. Bring me my spear. Oh, clouds unfold. Bring me my chariot of fire. Yeah. I think my favorite part of that is, um, oh, clouds unfold. Bring me my chariot of fire. Because that harkens back a little bit to uh, that countenance shine forth over our clouded hills. Uh, because when that was, mm-hmm. I was picturing the skies parting and the sun coming out. And so it seems like he wants to be part of that, the skies parting and the sun coming out. He wants to to bring out that chariot of fire just where God's countenance comes from. And can All right? You, yeah, and, and think about those, just these, this stanza alone, and forget the rest of the poem for a second. You know, if you were in a battle, right, and, and you had your leader— who comes up and, and you know, even the, the, you know, I don't want to get into the painting too much. We'll talk about that later, but, but think about this, this gentleman, someone who said this, right. And the words that he's like, bring me my bow of burn. It's very obviously poetic, but it's, it's powerful words. I think, I think no, I like the I like resonant. the connection you're making to what I was saying before about, okay, this is a type of person that, and the painting that I would want to have before me in front, uh, in a, in a battle on the front lines. Um, and so what you're saying is these are the words of somebody you would want as your leader, uh, righteously fighting and okay. to find whatever there is in the land. I mean, that's how, that, you know, bring me, bring me my bow of burning gold, bring me my arrows of desire. It's just, uh, for me, it's just very resonant and powerful. So what do you make imagery. of bring me my arrows of desire? Because I'm immediately thinking of Cupid, you know? But not in the context. So yes, there is that, but in the context so, of bringing... Yeah, but what does it mean in the context? Well, in the context of a burning gold bow. So this is a weapon. Like a, a bow is an actual weapon, a deadly weapon. And it's fueled by his passion and his inner desire to bring Jerusalem about. So this is what he's actively trying to do. So this is, to me, this is very active language. This is language that, that, that is saying, we're going to build this Jerusalem within the context of the poem, right? And mm-hmm. Um, and that's what he says at the end till we have built, cause the next stanza is I will not cease from mental fight nor and shall. So that's interesting there because what you have is what you're describing is, okay, I give me my bow, give me everything here. Where's my chariot. You're describing as this active, uh, this activity that he's undergoing. And then the next line is I will not cease from mental fight. Yeah. Mental fight, nor shall my sword sleep in my hand. So his sword's not going to sleep in his hand. His action nor is his mental, his, his thoughtful activeness in creating this world that he's going to create. And that's why I think the, the kind of power of it, because this poet is a fighter at the end of the day, right? Like he's a dreamer and a fighter. These things go together. It's not one or the other. 
he, he's a fighter he and his his weapons are bow and arrow spear chariot sword those are the things that he has but these physical objects they kind of for me they become charged with emotions and significance because of the context of what he's fighting for what he's talking about and then just the resonance of bring me my i mean just if you say it bring me my bow of burning gold right bring me my arrows of desire Bring me my well, spear. When you say it, oh, clouds unfold. <laughs> well, I think it, it le- lends itself yeah. to that kind of speech. Bring me my chariot of fire. I will not cease. Right? It's got that that oomph to it, and um, and it it's meant, I think, to be sung in a sense. Like it's meant to be sung, and it is. It's the literally, you know, the the national anthem of England, or the unofficial one, because it's meant to be sung with some power and resonance. Um, All right. So and this is somebody who's crusading for that's uh, crusading. a new kind yes. of uh, c- civilization here in England. He's unsatisfied with what he wants, and he's calling forth the 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 righteousness of God to and, to be his to to be his inspiration when he takes up the fight to destroy the dark satanic mills. You can take the dark satanic mills to be any kind of any machination that kind of impedes on a better life a, a you know, progress and, and moving into something better. And dark satanic mills has become that kind of phrase of like, these are the dark satanic mills of our time is the mm-hmm. dark satanic mills of, you know, police force, for instance, would be one example. Yeah, of- I think I would, I, I like that you're describing it as like England's national anthem, because I, I think of national anthems like, um, I play soccer, so getting yeah. in and listening to the national anthems before in a professional soccer match, World Cup, or something like that, it rouses you to go and go out into the into the struggle, go out into the strife, go out into that match. And I can imagine in whatever kind of strife that I'm about to undergo, that I think is uh, worthy of of fighting for, I can imagine repeating these lines or singing this to myself to pump me up to say mm-hmm. all right bring me my bow of burning gold bring me my arrows of desire bring me my spear oh clouds unfold bring me my chair to fire and i'm going to go in and i'm going to fight it's it's motivating me to see the righteousness of what i am about to engage in and i would um recommend if you guys get a moment to google or you go to youtube and type in the last night of the proms um, New Jerusalem, and you'll see proms is this is an event, um, an orchestra event of a couple of weeks in the summer that they do in England playing classical music. And then the last night of the proms or promenades, they always play this this song uh, along with "God Save the Queen" as the final song. And it's really fascinating. It's amazing. It's 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 just like you know national anthem in America. But you'll see thousands of Brits singing this you know, with their, their uh, flag waving and, mm-hmm. um, you know, they're, they're singing this, this song basically and, uh, written in 1804. Now, um, wait, what did William Blake write this intended to be a national anthem? No, I don't think so. In fact, I, there's, there's some view that he, he looked at it as a kind of criticism of what was going on at the time, but it was, um, primarily during world war one taken up as um, an anthem to kind of differentiate england from its adversaries right because think about like what a new jerusalem is again is a utopia and they're saying that we're gonna you know he's saying in this poem nor shall my sword sleep in my hand till we have built jerusalem in england's green and pleasant land 
Now, not necessarily the literal Christian Holy Land, although that is one interpretation, but the perfect area, like this island is going to be, this England's green and pleasant land is going to be the land of this, this perfect harmony, peace, and, and, um, and progress is going to happen here. So what made you pick this poem, Kirk? For me, the emotion that comes across most strongly is this, I'm, you know, this defiant cry out that bring me my bow of burning gold, bring, like this is his defiance against the dark satanic mills, whatever those, mm-hmm. those mills are going to be. And mm-hmm. that, you know, you're not going to, and so when you were showing me that little pot of land, I was thinking like, that's a perfect, you know, analogy for that is his, like the dark satanic mills are all those people that are trampling his, that's his new Jerusalem. There his new Jerusalem got. is his little pot of land. Right. And I was like, that's perfect. Like this. So if you don't have to be in England, although this is great for English people, of course, cause it has England's pleasant green and pleasant lamb. Um, you know, just like, like America's, uh, fields of wheat, America, the bountiful, right. That, that poem or that song. And it's that kind of thing, but it's, it has a, I think a broader resonance and especially that third stanza with the bring me my bow of like that from, if I can, um, so go ahead. I, I guess what you're imagining maybe is if we take that character from the painting, uh, that foppish aristocrat with his elegant sword spirals in the handle, that he before he sets out to go find that pot and to stand there in defiance of them, he could be saying to himself, "Bring me my spiraled sword, bring me my little." I guess my whatever it is that he's got, whatever, bring my boots that I'm going to wear. But it's his, his preparation before he goes out to defy the soldiers that are coming in. And I'm wondering also if that points out a little bit of the difference between. I was going to say the, the difference the too. Poem. Yeah. 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 So go ahead, articulate that. What is that? Well, I think so, you know, as we found out in the painting, if, if we're going to now talk about this, the combination of painting and poem mm-hmm. here. What I, what I noticed about the painting is that he is defending more, right? He's, he's more yeah. on the defense. This is more on the offense. Yeah. So this is the opposite side. This is saying, you know, this is him, like, they're about to trample his, his pot of land, and he's going to fight back. The, the, you know, the satanic mills of those soldiers are coming. They're grinding. They're grinding his whole field. They're coming, and it's like, you know, um, Game of Thrones right at the last second with, uh, I don't know if you guys saw that, that show, but um, when, when he's like standing there and that whole horde of horsemen are coming at him, right? And mm-hmm. or he's, you know, it's, it's just him by himself, right? And that's yeah. what I thought of when I thought of your painting. And then, but he's ready. He's going to go out there and he's going to, and you know, he's, go, he's that's going. That's a great visual connection. Um, and, and he's going to fight. And, and, but the difference is with the poem, it's more in the fighting mood. He's more in, that's it. Like we're not going to stop fighting. So I can imagine almost like they've already trampled it and he's going to regrow it and they're going to try and stop him or something like that. And now he's going to go fight, right? Like this is, so that's the feeling I get is that this is more of a fighting mood versus a, a, like, this is the last stand. This is the hill to die on. It's like we've died on the hill or, or, or we're about to die on the hill, but no, we're going to fight back. Like this mm-hmm. is, that's what I'm getting from the difference between the two. Mm-hmm. Which one would the um, American national anthem better fit? New Jerusalem or the the painting of the tulip folly or tulip lord? Oh, man, the na- the American national anthem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, say, can you see the Star Spangled Banner? Yeah, yeah. So I'm trying to think. Um, that one. They don't Kurt. sing that anymore, so I don't like. 
<laughs> hear it as much as I used to. I used to love that song. But you know, the, the gist is, I think it's you got. Yeah, I'm trying to um, recall. The it. flag is flying while the bombardment is going. The flag yeah. is still. Yeah. That, thank you. The bombardment. I mean, it's almost like a combination between the two, right? Because it's they're being bombarded. I, I guess it'd be more painting. It'd be more your painting than this poem. Um, yeah. And that would be my stance. What do you think? Yeah, I think so too, because it's despite all the craziness that's going on, that flag is, is still there unaffected showing dignity, just like he stands proudly. Yeah. I like how you defined or explained in the posture before in the, the understanding the painting that while he notices or he's informed this guy in the painting, he's informed that this, these soldiers are coming to trample his, his tulips that in that moment, he might say something like, bring me my bow of burning gold. I think that's an important connection. The emotion of I'm not going to cease from my fight until I've built. Wait, 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 wait. I was about to say that, but you missed one word, an important word in what you just said. What's that? I will not cease from mental fight yeah and i think our figure in the is in the painting yeah not mental is totally mental oh his fight is absolutely totally mental having to stand yeah. there to resist the the that look of defiance is not just okay i'm going to look defiant it's 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 building up the courage and the knowledge i'm not going to react to everything else that's going on right here i'm going to be self-possessed enough at this moment to see everything that that is my life being destroyed before me and know and know and keep in my mind and know that there's one thing that I will not let be destroyed, but I've got to protect and I can't overreact. Okay. That's, that's really interesting. Yeah. I think, um, I mean, I think I would agree with you and I would probably extend it. That mental fight can mean a couple of things. I think in relation to that painting, that's, you're right. It's it's his internal struggle, or his internal. If you put will, yourself in his place, his if internal you put yourself will. in his place. Yeah, like if Kirk. Yeah, you're you're. I don't know, defending your home or something, or having to watch as government officials or protesters or whomever it is, uh, kind of start to get onto your threshold, and you you you, you got to bolster yourself, yourself up. Yeah, get yourself pumped. The rage you might be feeling, yeah. the anger, the need to act, the need to 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 lash out. Uh, yeah, but I that, 100% agree. That's really that interesting. Yeah. And it's and actually I saw the movie um again last night which I haven't seen in in since I was a kid, Chariots of Fire. Um I don't know if you've heard of that movie, but Oh it's, yeah, it's uh, the soundtrack is one of my favorites. Yeah, right that electronic piano or whatever. Um don't I can't do the thing. I won't do it. Oh, but go ahead. Sing I, for I us, can't do it. I sing for us. I'm really bad with music, so I won't I won't mess it up. But you guys probably know what I'm doing if you you know go you go to YouTube and, and do um Chariots of Fire. But it was a 1981 film, it won seven Academy Awards. Um huge film at the time in, in terms of the, the prestige that it got. And it's all about I'm curious to see what you're going. Yeah. It's, it's all, all about it's all about the mental internal fight that makes a runner go, you know, have that, it's about runners basically in the 1924 Olympics. And like, what is it that drives them to push harder than they're capable of pushing in that moment? And they took the chariot of fire from this poem. It was inspired by this poem. Although this is ah, in the Bible. I say, bring me my chariot of fire. Yeah. Chariot of fire. And 
And so like when you get this burning gold idea, you know, his burning gold, think of it as like created from light and, and um, you know, like that, that internal, like that's what you're saying about this mm-hmm. defiant painter or this guy in this painting this defiance is that that burning passion is internal, right? It's inside him. You can't necessarily see it except in his expression. You get a sense of what's inside him. Um, and it, those arrows are, are like pier- his piercing aspirations. Like, this is my goal. These are what I'm trying to go for. For the painting, it's my goal is to, this is the hill I'm going to die on. That's my aspiration. That's how I would put that. And then, you know, for me, the chariot of fire is like Phoebus, the, the sun god, in his chariot in Greek mythology, drives the sun. And, and it's all these emotions in these concrete imagery is why I love this poem. I think what I'm taking away from the combination of the two is you you have a kind of before and after. You have the the poem, the setup of the vision of what it is that you want, what matters to you, the idea that you are going to fight and defend, and the the preparation for rousing yourself to do so. And then in the painting you've got you're in the middle of the fray but it's a different kind of it's it's not actively going out to fight it's the mental fight within to to stand by what you know is most precious yeah and to 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 defend that with with righteousness so yeah any final thoughts kirk yeah i mean i think that in the painting you'll get more a sense of defiance in the poem you get a more more a sense of righteousness yeah and it, it's more like you know you like, you like that it's it's more, I, I kind of like it i but i want to qual i want to be careful of that it, too because they, there is yeah that vision of that that and if you haven't seen the painting yet i can't wait for you to see it but that vision is what i would call a vision of righteousness because yeah. he would be fighting he would be uh he would have just he would be on his chariot of of the sun oh yeah like if so, anybody gets within like i was saying earlier within like a f- couple feet of him his chariot of fire is going to be out right he's going to be on his chariot of fire fighting to the death and that that's what that painting gives my only point in the, is the emphasis in the moment captured by the painter is the moments before that's going to happen. Right. And, and I think the paint, you know, so it's more about defiance. It's, you know, if it's like a spectrum, he's on a little bit more of just pure defiance that's captured in the painting. And I, I, yeah, I I think I wouldn't, I wouldn't put the spectrum as defiance to righteousness. Okay. Uh, And I would say defiance to action. Sure. Righteousness. I'm associating more with the idea that you're 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 defending, or the manner in which you hold that idea. This is something that is important to me. It is sacred, and even though that's just a little flower, it's sacred to him. Just like you pointed out, that little pot of flower is just like a New Jerusalem. Yeah. Now, what what were I mean? Do you think that if someone crossed that line, you know, he would in his in his own way? speak that third stanza do you get that i think he's already spoken that third stanza okay, before he so got that's out your there conclusion. okay yeah. i yeah. i feel like um so you're saying he's already bolstered okay yeah i can yeah. i could i could dig that yeah he he's out in the english shores right or the english meadows right now fighting the uh Dark those satanic mills, satanic mills. Yeah. yeah which are the people that are grinding his tulip exactly, exactly. Right. yeah there you go nice <laughs> little nice little ending there 
All um, right. So uh, th- this is fun, Kirk. What's yeah. the ne- going to be the next topic or what do we have on tap for the next topic? Okay. So let's, um, so everybody, thank you. Make sure you go to troubadourmag.com and check out the show notes where we'll have the painting and um, some description of the poem. Now, if you go to surprised by art, the group on Facebook, you can vote for three topics we're going to put up. I'm going to put it up probably pretty soon here. So check it out. Um, you know, well, by the time you go to this, you'll be able to vote on these. Okay. You ready to hear the three topics? I'm ready to hear the three, these topics. three topics, by the way, two of them come from the people on our um, group. So thank you to the people who gave us some suggestions. So first one is secular revelation, secular revelation. So, so like revelation, you might have revelation, like a religious revelation, but now this is a secular source. Okay. Yeah. Or, so um, that'll be a really interesting one and, and okay. you know, one to express what we think is revelation okay. and so on. I'll be interested to find a painting for that. Yeah. That'll be, a, that'll be interesting. Yeah. Overcoming heartbreak. Yeah. I've got plenty. Yeah. There's so uh, many I'll poems. Pick, I'll pick one out. I'll pick. I'll, that's going to be overcoming. I've got some in mind that are coming to mind. Yeah. I have, there's like, cause I've yeah. never experienced heartbreak. So I don't know. What oh, to do. of course. <laughs> I have no idea. Um, no, but yeah, like so many poems. It's, it's, that's a big one. Uh, childhood wildness. Oh, childhood wildness. Okay, interesting. Interesting. So those so, are the three we got: overcoming heartbreak, secular revelation, childhood. Are you wildness. by like childhood wildness? Like, is there an age limit there? Is that like, does that go up to twenty-five? I mean, if you think it does, I would say <laughs> no, you know, oh, ask no, yourself no. what child is, and we can have a philosophical debate on what okay. childhood is. No, but I'm imagining, yeah, you I'm could, you, but you can. I mean, like thirty-year-old children. Like, yeah, thir- I know thirty-five-year-old <laughs> children for sure. I know eighty-year-old children, man. Okay, All right, Kurt. so um, that that's it for this time. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Thank you, everybody.